A couple of weeks ago, a friend of mine had reached out to me after a renowned Australian preacher, Christine Kane, closed out a women's global conference called IF. If you've never heard of Christine Kane, I highly recommend you look her up. She travels all around the world as an activist, evangelist, and speaker. She started multiple nonprofits. She's absolutely incredible. So at the recommendation of my friend, I tune into Christine's segment, and in this interview, she tells this powerful story from one of her recent travels. And this story's been ringing in my mind for the past few weeks. You see, at the very beginning of 2020, before the world and global travel came to a screeching halt, Christine went to Asia to speak and to train about 500 leaders of the underground church, which we'll continue to talk about a little bit more. And many of the leaders that she was equipping grew up during the reign of Mao Zedong's cultural revolution, in which literally millions of Christians were imprisoned or killed. And they shared with her that they were taught by their leaders how to witness to the prison guards that would take them to their execution. They were taught how to tell the person leading them to their death about Jesus. And in that moment, Christine literally fell to her knees and she looked at these students, these people she was supposed to be teaching, and she asked them to lay hands on her and to pray that she would have that kind of faith. And as they did, one of the students said something she will never forget. He said, it's not about how big a thing you build for God. It's about being faithful to Jesus until the end. More than 340 million people right now live in places where they experience high levels of persecution and discrimination. That's one in eight Christians worldwide. An organization called Open Doors creates and distributes a yearly watch list that ranks the top 50 countries where Christians are being persecuted for their faith. Let's take a look. On this map, you'll see North Korea. Uh, this is the 20th year of this country being listed as number one. It's being discovered as being discovered as a Christian is a death sentence in North Korea. If you aren't killed instantly, you will be taken to a labor camp as a political criminal. These inhumane prisons have absolutely horrific conditions and few believers make it out alive. Leader Kim, Kim Jong-un is reported to expand the system of prison camps in which an estimated 50,000 to 70,000 Christians are currently imprisoned. The next one you might notice is Afghanistan. In Afghanistan, living openly as a Christian is impossible. Christian converts face absolutely dire consequences if their new faith is discovered. So essentially, converts have two options. You can flee the country or risk being killed. If their family discovers their conversion, the family, their clan, or their tribe must save its honor by disowning the believer or even killing them. Christians from a Muslim background can also be sent to a psychiatric hospital because leaving Islam is considered a sign of insanity. So as we look at a map like this, we have to wonder in the midst of such horrific realities, what does Jesus have to say? Well, we've been spending time in the Beatitudes for the past several weeks. And today I want us to read through in its entirety the Beatitudes starting in Matthew chapter 5 verse 1. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, 
for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So as we read through the Beatitudes in its entirety, uh, we can see that persecution is inevitable. And you would think that if we followed the Beatitudes, this way of living, that we would be found attractive and faultless. But instead, Jesus said, when you live this way, you will be persecuted. You will be hated. You will be despised. And I could spend a lot of time trying to convince us that persecution is real today, even in our relatively safe and cushy Western context. But I really don't need to because Jesus says that we will be persecuted, that we should anticipate it. He says that we're going to be insulted and have malice spread about us. Jesus makes it abundantly clear in multiple places throughout scripture, which we'll we'll continue to touch on today, that in order to obey him, to follow him, to live for him, we will suffer. Maybe you've heard whoever will lay down their life will find it. And when people think of or hear the term persecution, they're usually only thinking of beating and death. But the term persecution is actually defined as hostility and ill treatment, persistent annoyance or harassment. It's far more expansive than death. Although that is certainly the reality as we have already mentioned for many of our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world. So really there's two types of persecution. There's the physical experience of persecution such as beating, stoning, torture, imprisonment, disowning, being exiled. But it also can be in physical ways like withholding. For example, during the the pandemic in India, 80% of Christians were passed over for food distribution due to their religious identity. Physically, it could also manifest as monitoring. This past year in China, facial recognition cameras have begun to be installed in churches to monitor services and believers to know where they're going at all times. What would it be like to have to risk your life every single day in order to be a disciple? And of course, the second type of persecution is verbal. People will insult you, destroy your reputation, label you. But where does this come from? What is the cause of persecution? Well, it says in the scripture, because of righteousness. 2 Timothy 2 verse 12, everyone who desires to live a godly life will face persecution. If you want to learn more about what it means to live righteously, you can go back a couple of weeks ago. I talked about this in Matthew 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. When we live righteously, when we live counterculturally, when we live the biblical way and not the worldly way, we will face persecution. Some of the areas that come to mind might be sexual ethics. You know, We believe there's a right and a wrong way to live when it comes to our sexuality. According to the Bible, according to righteousness, righteousness, according to scripture, God's design for sex is in the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman. We can face persecution for that. What about the topic of the exclusivity of salvation? We believe that there is only one way to God and that it's through Jesus. That there's only one way to heaven and that's through Jesus. That is not popular. That is going to offend people. That is going to cause us to verbally persecute us. 
practically speaking, we're all going to be faced with, if we haven't already, a time where we will be asked to or pressured to ascribe to practices that are not righteous that are not God's way. And the rubber is going to meet the road at some point. And maybe it's when HR asks you to do something that's company policy that you with a clear conscience can't subscribe to anymore. Eventually something is going to get our core convictions. So when do we walk? Christians for quite some time now, and I am so guilty of this too, we might subscribe to things in the culture with our fingers crossed behind our back. We have to be willing to suffer the consequences of conviction, of living righteously. And the second way uh, that we know that we will be persecuted or why we're being persecuted is because of Jesus. And obviously Jesus is the, the perfection. He is righteousness personified. But John chapter 15 verses 18 through 19 says, if you find that the world despises you, I can tell you why. He says, remember that before it despised you, it first despised me. If you were a product of the world order, then it would love you. It would think you're fantastic, but you are not a product of the world because I have taken you out of it and it despises you for that very reason. When I read a, read a, a scripture like that and as I wrestle through this topic of persecution, one of the questions that comes to my mind is how much of me is the world and how much of me is Jesus? Does the world like me? Is Jesus filling my life so much that some people are, uncom are uncomfortable with me and maybe even hate me? To align with Jesus is to align against evil. And friends, aligning against evil rushes you and I into the battle of the ages. Persecution will come when we fully commit our lives to Jesus and to do the hard work of living transformed. And because of Jesus, we will repel some and we will draw others. So what should our response be? There is a lot of dialogue right now about what is and what isn't persecution. In fact, it's kind of a hot debate in the American church right now as a result of the restrictions on gathering due to COVID. And I'm not here to go into that today because guess what? Regardless of whether you think persecution is real or perceived right now in our country, the response is the same. It is identical. He says the response is rejoice and be glad. Shout for joy. And that may seem insane, but here's what we know. Persecution connects us so deeply to the kingdom of heaven, to Jesus. There is something deep in this experience that forms and develops us. And amidst the persecution, we know that ours is the kingdom, that we can be of good cheer for God, for Jesus has overcome. Tertullian is a famous early Christian author from North Africa. He actually said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. In other words, persecution actually strengthens the church. From great despair comes great life. Rejoice. Luke chapter 9, Jesus said to all of his followers in verse 23, if you truly desire to be my disciple, you must disown your life completely. Embrace my cross as your own and surrender to my ways. For if you choose self-sacrifice, giving up your lives for my glory, you will discover true life. But if you choose to keep your lives for yourselves, you will lose what you try to keep. Even if you gained all the wealth and power of this world and all the things it could offer you, yet lost your soul in the process, 
What good is that? So why then are you ashamed of being my disciple? I, the Son of Man, will one day return in my radiant brightness with the holy angels and in the splendor and majesty of my Father. And on that day, I will be ashamed of everyone who has been ashamed of me. Friends, the joy of being faithful and loyal is worth it. Do not give up. The kingdom is yours. Don't bail now. Keep your confidence in him. When things get hard, when things get awkward, when things get difficult, when people begin to abandon you, when you face hardship for your allegiance to God, when you are tempted or ashamed of being his disciple, lean in, be glad. So we've talked about the fact that persecution is inevitable, the cause of persecution, and our response to it. Now I want to end by looking at how to prepare for persecution. I would argue that whenever faith of any kind moves from the secular or the popular culture to the private, that society will see increasing persecution. Remember, the definition of persecution is much broader than torture and death. And as, mo as most of us know, the U.S. is increasingly being labeled a post-Christian society. Many Jesus followers have begun to experience hatred and intolerance on social media platforms, in schools, and in politics. And we are obviously not experiencing corporate physical persecution in America, but Christ followers are being censored in various arenas or skipped over for certain jobs or roles due to their religious affiliation or being falsely accused and labeled things like unintelligent, bigot, irrelevant, extreme, foolish, intolerant. And we could argue all day until we are blue in the face of whether or not what is happening around us is merely a loss of privilege or true discrimination. But like Jesus said, that doesn't really matter because our response is the same. And we should know that whether the most raw and animalistic form of persecution is experienced in our lifetime or maybe our children's lifetime or our children's children's, we want to make sure that we lean in rather than run away. We want to be prepared. So how do we have persecution-proof faith? Well, the first way we do that is we have to shift our mentality. We have to recognize that we are not the home team, that we are exiles, that our true destiny is not here, that this is temporary. Secondly, we have to break the fear of human opinion, and this is a massive one. And I don't know about you, but for me, I want to be seen as legitimate in my city, in my neighborhood, in my kids' school. It's really hard to not care about the opinions of others. It's really interesting. If we're not careful, we can easily begin to slip into embarrassment and feel inadequate in a secular culture. We might want to cover up and hide with sophistication and intelligence. We might try to reroute conversation or distract from particular topics because we don't want to be asked what we think. But if we're really honest, we might realize that we make our primary audience the opinion of the power makers in our lives or our peers rather than God. In my quiet time recently, I had a really powerful moment that I want to read to you from my journal. Is there an area of your life where you have let someone's opinion dominate, where you are a slave to their opinion? Maybe you, you don't present things in their full light. Or you guard your words, not out of thoughtfulness or wisdom, but out of fear. I think when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, when it comes to following God, 
most of us are not going to outright deny the whole relationship. Most of us will not pull a Peter and go full on, I don't know him, but we will deny and have denied bits and pieces of it. There will be countless opportunities to shift the narrative to fit other people's opinions, to spin the story, to soften the blow of truth around various topics and issues. There are going to be moments of compromise. And this is just as heartbreaking to God and ultimately a very slippery slope. One thing you've probably noticed from the series we've been in on the Beatitudes is that Jesus doesn't mince his words. He is extremely bold and clear. And this is highly uncomfortable for most of us because we have to break the fear of human opinion and the voice of Jesus has to be the loudest in our lives. You remember at the beginning of the message, I mentioned Christine Kane. Well, she shared recently, uh, this was her exact words, when I came to Christ 30 years ago, my family didn't speak to me for almost three years. A Greek Orthodox girl converting is the ultimate sin. It's like a Muslim converting to Christianity. My parents literally ripped up my birth certificate. There is an element to our faith that is countercultural, and there is an enemy to our soul. We have to break the fear of human opinion, even those closest to us. The third way that we prepare for persecution is we have to cultivate a heart of love for those who persecute us. It's kind of easier to deal with persecution when you have hate in your heart and you kind of have this, I know I'm going to get them back. Like they're not going to be around when I get to go to heaven or something upset that's like that. But that is not what Jesus tells us to do. Instead, he tells us that we are called to be love, that we are called to love our enemies, to bless and to not curse, to literally lay down our lives. There's a story in the book of Acts about a man named Stephen. We're going to read chapter 7, verses 54 through 59. At that point, they, which is a group of Jewish leaders, went wild, a rioting mob of catcalls and whistles and invective. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, hardly noticed. He only had eyes for God, whom he saw in all his glory with Jesus standing at his side. He said, oh, I see heaven wide open and the Son of Man standing at God's side. Yelling and hissing, the mob drowned him out. And now in full stampede, they dragged Stephen out of town and they pelted him with rocks. Stoning was the most common form of capital punishment in Israel at the time. And by the way, that practice is still legal and occurring in several countries today. So the ringleaders took off their coats and they asked a young man named Saul, who you might recognize as Paul, to watch the coats. And as the rocks rained down, Stephen prayed, Master Jesus, take my life. And he knelt down, praying loud enough for everyone to hear. Master, do not blame them for this sin. And then he died. Stephen was the first person on record to be murdered for his belief in Jesus. And I want you to picture this scene with me. These stones, they're just the right size. They've been selected so they're not too big to kill in one or two bashes of the head, but not so small that they don't do damage. And the rocks begin to pull away Stephen's flesh and they dismember him. He would quickly become maimed and unrecognizable. And after what could have been close to an hour of abuse, with his broken last breath, he falls in the footsteps of Jesus, begging God to forgive his torturers. He chooses to ask for their pardon despite their hatred. Blessed are those who are persecuted 
for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are rising up courage in us. You are calling your people to be brave, to break the fear of human opinion, to love our enemies, to be willing to shift our mentality, to literally lay down our life. Father, you are calling us today to be willing to be persecuted if that's what it takes. Lord, I pray for our brothers and sisters around the world in this exact moment who are gasping for air because of their commitment to you, who are being tortured, who are imprisoned, who are starving, who are being beaten and killed. Father, I pray by your Holy Spirit, God, that they would feel the peace that Stephen felt right in this moment. They would be connecting with you in the deepest way possible. As we've learned this morning, persecution crafts something deep in our soul. It connects us to you in a way that nothing else can. And so I pray that that is the experience of our brothers and sisters around the world. I pray that you would instill in us, your people, a vision of how to be more bold, how to be more brave in the circles of influence that we have. And Jesus, we thank you for the gift that life is, and we pray that we would not hold so tightly to it that we forget that there is more beyond this earth. So God, today we pray for those of us who are, who are tuning in and who are struggling with even just being honest in certain relationships, who are struggling with creating a false sense of identity to be more accepted. Lord, I pray that we would begin to enter in to what it means to fully follow after you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.